Staying cool? Yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty sweltering these days. It's good, though. Praise the Lord. He causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. We are most blessed. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us, for your grace and mercy that you do cause the sun to shine. Lord, where would we be without you? We couldn't even find our way, but you have illuminated the path that's right, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We just praise you and worship you. We rejoice to receive the blessings, whether it does involve pain or difficulty. Lord, even in those trying times, how sweet it is to praise you, to draw near to you, to hear you speak to us and bring your comfort. And uh, we ask, Lord, that you would speak through your word to each of our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13, if you'll turn there. Today we're going to speak about walking in the Spirit. And walking is a learned behavior. I, I find it amazing not only how babies develop in the womb of their mothers, but their rapid stages of development after they're born. Like there's all these little milestones of being able to focus with their eyes on things and lift and hold up their own head because it's a bit weighty. Um, and then to start crawling around and on those flailing limbs start getting some dexterity and they can grab and hold on to things. And we compliment their grip how strong their grip is, and they pull themselves up, and they start toddling around, and before they can even speak in a sentence, before they can describe the mechanics of walking, a baby can walk. A child can be running around without even the capacity to describe what they're doing, but it becomes so natural to them, even at a young age, and uh, newborn lambs, they're almost immediately able to stand and nurse and this is really true for, for children of God, too, spiritually. When we're born again, he enables us to walk. He gives us that ability to walk with Jesus. And once we're walking, we have the choice of who we're going to listen to. It's like that little boy at the, at the park where he can run, and uh, mom calls out and says, hey, come here, or don't go over there. And he has that decision where, where he, he can walk. He can choose to go the right way or choose to go uh, um, however he wants. We're all prone to wander. We're all prone to, to listen to our own advice. But praise the Lord, he speaks to us, and he, he orders our steps through his love. Not law, but love. The love that he has for us, that's the best way to walk with him as we, as we walk together. So having been empowered to walk, we see that how we walk matters. I remember doing a, a walk jogathon is what they called it. It was a, a fundraiser for a school. Did anyone here do a jogathon or a walkathon or whatever thon that was involved? Anyway, you're supposed to get people, you say, I'm, gonna, I'm raising money for my school. How much will you pay me per lap? And they're like, 10 cents a lap or 15 cents a lap or 50 cents a lap. And uh, I remember in year three going around this dirt oval. The whole ground was all dirt. And... Uh, I'm happily in conversation, and I'm dragging my feet. And I'm quite impressed by this massive plume of dust that's just going across the whole oval. And I'm like, yeah, kind of like, let's get that as big as we can as we're talking. And I mean, the thing that you're thinking as a kid, I don't know. So the decomposed granite's getting kicked up, and, and a teacher comes running across and says, hey, cut that out. We, no one wants to eat your dust. And I'm like, oh, like I didn't even think about that this could be affecting anyone. I was just quite impressed with this big dust cloud that I was stirring up. And uh, so it was good that I was walking. I was contributing to the school by circling that oval. But the way I was walking was not helpful to other people. I was quite impressed, but they were not so impressed. Uh, there's no law that said you cannot drag your feet when you walk. I couldn't have gone to jail for that or had detention because I decided to drag my feet. But if I care about others, I'm going to think about them. I'm going to be concerned about, well, hey, I am dusting everyone out. They're coughing. They're choking. Love considers others more important than yourself and how, what cool things you can do. So Paul, he writes this letter to the Galatians, 
the Christians in Asia Minor, they agreed, hey, the way you walk is important. The thing that they made the mistake of saying is that salvation depended upon keeping the law of Moses. That's what your salvation depended upon. Jesus plus the law. Circumcision and keeping Sabbaths. And in the strongest terms, Paul denounced this. He says, that is, that's not the way of salvation. Uh, and he said in Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. The power was... The, the law was powerless to make a person righteous by trying to keep it, and the law had no ability to free us from the sin that kept us in bondage. It couldn't free us from the curse. Trying to do good doesn't uh, free you from all the wrongs and the guilt that you have, the things that you have done. And the law had these external boundaries of right and wrong, but they couldn't change a person's heart. Grace and truth came through Jesus who fulfilled the law, and he ushered in a new way salvation by grace through faith in him. So simply by trusting in Christ. And then it's God's love that compels us to walk in the spirit whom he has freely given by his grace. So it's not that we're seeking to please men or to avoid punishment, but to glorify God who's given us all things. Galatians 5 verse 13 is where we start. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Those who claimed that keeping circumcision and the law of Moses was necessary for salvation, they were placing a yoke of bondage upon people that even they could not have carried. Um, Jesus had set Christians free from the curse of the law, from sin and from death. But they were going back to the law to show their righteousness. It's kind of like a convicted felon who was guilty, who did the wrong thing, who was on death row but received a full pardon from the governor general. It wasn't because he was like, oh, he didn't actually do the crimes. That's not why he was let go. He was guilty as sin, but he was let go. He was set free. His, his, uh, his past expunged from his record because of the goodness of the ruler. So now he's free, right? He was in prison, but now he's free, and he gets to choose how he uses his freedom. And people who have been set at liberty, they use their freedom differently. Some would see their, their uh, reversal of their conviction and their pardon as freedom to visit old friends, to party it up, to hook up, to, to just live life, right? Because they were restricted from that behind bars. There's others who actually have been released from prison and they intentionally reoffend so they can go back to prison where it was a comfortable life, where things were provided for them, where there was health care where they didn't have to worry about paying for rent. Uh, you know, you have easy friends, associates that are just already there, and it's an easier life. It's shocking, but it's true. Then there's some who are wise, and they recall what landed them in prison in the first place, and the life choices that they had made, and they choose to disassociate themselves from those, those potentially tempting situations, from those associates who, who pressured them, and they make a they I have a clean start now. I have a new lease on life. I have a new opportunity to be a good citizen. And they choose that path. So we've been set first from we've been set free from the curse of sin and the law through faith in Christ. And the question is, how are we using our liberty? How do you use your liberty? Is it to return back to the law as an indication of how righteous you are? Is it to impose a personal conviction on someone else? Is it to use our freedom for fleshly pursuits? Or is it through love to serve one another, loving others as Jesus loves us? Paul says to his brethren in Christ, he says, you've been called to liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. After we decide to follow Jesus, after we are born again, we keep living in this body of flesh. 
you see that same reflection looking back at you in the mirror when you wake up in the morning. And we're stewards and caretakers of this body, and we keep living in it. We still have those weaknesses. We still have uh, frailties and failures. Just for an example, think of terms in raising children. Parents are responsible to provide for the needs of their kids. And it's possible for a parent who loves their child to spoil their child. Would you agree that's possible? Right. A child can be spoiled because the parents, they dote upon them. They, they overlook obvious faults. They, they coddle and shelter their child or make excuses for bad behavior. They don't discipline them biblically. Uh, they excuse their character flaws or pander to laziness. And their life becomes bound up with trying to make their, their child happy rather than doing what's best for them. And that's how we can treat our flesh. Right? We can coddle the flesh. We can excuse the flesh. We can pander to the flesh. Those desires that are in this, this body that we happen to live in at this time. And use our freedom to coddle ourselves rather then honor God and love others. Uh, we can use the freedom from bondage God gives us to engage in selfish pursuits. That's the bottom line. Self-love, it leads to all manner of vice, all manner of sin, works of the flesh. Instead of using freedom to do whatever we want or what feels good, we are, through God's love, to serve one another. And I think of like a service dog. That dog, when it was first born, was like any other dog. But it was chosen, it was selected, maybe because of the breed or because of the temperament. And then that dog was trained rigorously to be able to fulfill that task as a service dog. And we are all servants of the Most High God. And there's some training that has to take place. God's chosen us, he's selected us, He's given us a new nature that's after his own. So we have the temperament, but are we going to respond to his discipline? Are we going to continue to walk in obedience to him even when you've now moved away from the strict teacher that you were trained under and now you're with the, the one that you're serving? And some dogs, they get a bit... I, I, I know one case of a service dog that had to be retrenched so to speak, because it had really gone off the rails and wasn't doing anymore what it was supposed to be doing. So they had to retrain that dog and to say, all right, you're not fulfilling your function as a dog. You're not doing what you're trained to do, so back to training for you. And that, we go through that process all the time where God, he trains us and he's teaching us how through love to serve one another. This love that's talked about here is God's agapeo love. It's an act of love that seeks to do good for others. It takes no thought for itself. It's a sacrificial love described in 1 Corinthians 13 that governs our interactions with God and with others because we freely receive that love, and now his love can freely come through our lives. Please turn to Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 7, where we see the meaning of this in a practical context, something we can sink our teeth into. Romans 13, verse 7. Paul writes, Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The law detailed all sorts of social interactions that it was what you were supposed to do and not do. But the Holy Spirit, now that we've received him, he never prompts us to lie or to murder or to steal, or to covet, or to be envious of what others have. God's love, it orders our path righteously in the correct way, and the life of Jesus provides evidence of this. Right? Jesus, none of these things, murdering, stealing, 
lying, coveting, that doesn't mark the life of Jesus. So it shouldn't mark our lives either because he lives within us. And God's love, it's not saying, hey, bite and devour one another. God's given us mouths and teeth, but we were taught as children not to bite, right? Don't bite your brother. Any biters in here? You, you used to bite. Well, we can bite through slander and through lying and through stirring up discord, harsh censure, love. It suffers long. It's kind. It's not puffed up with pride. It doesn't seek its own. It's not easily provoked. It's patient. God's love, it's not produced by attempts to keep a law. That's not what produces God's love, but faith and obedience to Christ. It all comes from Christ. Back to Galatians 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The concern of the legalist is that without law, man will be lawless. Yet Jesus enables us to fulfill God's will by the presence and empowerment of the Holy Spirit within us. So the Holy Spirit lives within us. Rather than being subject to external laws. And God holds us to a higher standard than the law dictates. We talked about it last week. Like the law says, do not murder. And not murdering someone is very different than loving them right? You've kept the law if you just didn't murder someone. But we're to love that person. That's a far higher standard. We're not deemed righteous by avoiding evil, but having been declared righteous by grace through faith, we're divinely enabled to walk in the Spirit. Boyce says in the Enduring Word commentary, life by the Spirit is neither legalism nor license, and that's license or excuse to sin nor a middle way between them. It is a life of faith and love that is above all these false ways. As long as we live in these bodies, there's going to be tension between the flesh and the spirit, the spirit of God that's in us, the new nature and the, the old way of thinking and living. We're no longer at the mercy of sin. We're no longer at the mercy of the world uh, because we have overcome through faith in Jesus. We are overcomers through him. But just because we're overcomers, we can be all pumped up. Yes, we have overcome. We have the victory. Let's not kid ourselves. We can still make foolish decisions with the freedom God's given us, right? We made foolish decisions under law, and we can make foolish decisions under grace. When I was corrected by the teacher, I had the capacity to stop dragging my feet, or I could wait until the teacher turned his back or left for the classroom, and I could start doing it again. Right? He wouldn't know. That was not right. Uh, the flesh resists and hates correction. It hates being told that it's wrong or misinformed. It seeks to please self. God takes us who are naturally self-seeking, self-absorbed, self-conscious, and self-promoting. He changes that perspective uh, through the Holy Spirit who lives in us because the scripture says that We've been crucified with Christ, so it's not I who live anymore, but Christ in me who's living. So Paul explains the flesh and the Holy Spirit, they're opposed to one another, and the result is you do not do the things that you wish. And this is really true in a positive and a negative sense. Because we're born again, we want to do things before that we never wanted to do. We, we are prompted to do things that the flesh is like, why would I do that? So I don't want to help that person. However, because of the love of Christ, I'm glad to help that person. So there's been a change. But then there's things that we do now that we never felt guilty about or thought was wrong, but God has convicted us about that. And so we realize, man, I fall so short of the standard that God has for me. I want to do the right thing, but I keep doing the wrong thing. And then the flesh wants to do the wrong thing. And we say, no, that, that's not the thing I should do. And so you're not doing the thing that you want to, that you wish to. You guys been there in that tussle? It's like you're not doing, there's something you really want to do, 
you really want to say that thing? Like, I want to. But no, that's not loving. And then there's that thing, you're like, I should not be doing that. And guess what you're doing? That thing. Ah! <laughs> Shouldn't do it. So the flesh wants to sin, but we're empowered to say no. Our, niche, our new nature desires to live that's fully pleasing unto God, yet we still make mistakes. So we find ourselves in the middle sometimes. From a godly vantage point, we can rejoice when we love others. And we see that's the motive behind doing the things that we're doing. Because it's by the grace of God in us. We didn't earn that status. It's by his grace it's been imparted to us. And when we're convicted of sin that no law condemns, we can rejoice in that. Because we're being convicted about something that it's not illegal and it, most people don't even see it as wrong, even in the church. But we know what God has said to us and we can obey him. Paul said, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The law was a shadow of God's righteousness. Jesus is the substance of his righteousness. And having agreed to take Christ's easy and light yoke upon us, we shed the shackles of law. They don't work together, the law and the grace of God, the Holy Spirit who lives within us. The flesh is glad to create arbitrary rules or measurements of piety, evidence of righteousness in place of faith and reliance upon God. The law commands, but the Holy Spirit leads. Jesus does give us commands. And his command is that we would love one another as he loves us. The law of Moses was written upon tablets of stone, but through the gospel, Jesus personally leads us and the Holy Spirit fills us. It's kind of the difference between um, working with dad in the garage, doing a job that he he's like, hey, we, we've got a job today. And you go out to the garage with dad, and he's like, get this and hold this for me. And, you know, you're, you're following his leading. It's the difference between grace and the law of God between working with dad and then having a to-do list that he left with you and he's not even there. And you don't know the difference between a screwdriver and a spanner. And you're trying to figure out what it is you're supposed to be doing here. Like, okay, what? here's the thing and I tighten this and now what? Well, when God's there, when Jesus is with us, he has given us his word. He has given us these instructions. However, he's there with us. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand and to put into practice the things that we hear. So we're able to apply it in a practical way. I, don't, I cannot say how God does this. Just like a baby can't explain how it can walk. You know, it doesn't know, it couldn't say the word foot. Or I would love to read a scientific description of what walking is where you're just really, you're upright and you're putting one foot in front of another and moving forward. It's like what part of your heel hits the ground and how you stride forward and, and your gait. And you could get real technical about it, but it's just walking. And that's what we're called to do with Jesus. So it's not really complicated, but we can make it super complicated. Like, well, wait a second, how does that work? How does that actually happen? Well, we don't need to know how it happens as much as, who is enabling us to walk and trusting him, following his leading. When we choose to love others in obedience, we are walking with the Spirit. We are being led by the Spirit because we are living in the way that pleases God. When we're denying those sinful urges and we do what's right instead, we can know that we're walking in the right direction because I'm not living to please myself anymore but the Lord. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul presents this list of obvious works of the flesh. It's not a comprehensive list. This is a partial list. And there's no mystery to any of us what sin looks like, what it feels like, the shame that it brings. We try to cover it up. The actions that are described here and the bent of the heart 
to do them are in everyone who does not know Jesus. And those who know Jesus, this is like an exact picture of the reality of what's in your heart, in your natural condition. Now, I realize that that a lot of these words used, we don't commonly use them. Like, have you ever, let's just look at a few of them. It's like, whoa, dissensions. You know, son, in class, you're full of dissensions. Like, huh? I doubt there's many children that would know exactly what that means or exactly what it means by uh, uncleanness or revelries. And we can get really technical. I find no reason to be pedantic about a strict definition about each of these. You have a dictionary. You can look them up. There will be a range of general things that will give you an idea of what we're talking about. I don't want to use a strict definition to any of them because uh, I run the risk of limiting the Word of God and what the leading of the Holy Spirit might convict you of because I remember very well when God used this very passage to reveal my sin of outbursts of wrath. I figured, hey, I can, if I'm not hurting anyone, if I'm not breaking anything, what's wrong with blowing off a bit of steam? I'm not cursing. Um, but it's like, that's the work of the flesh. And I was just nailed by it. I was like, whoa, okay, wow, okay. And, and I can't do anything about that. I don't have the power to change that about me. But God can, and he does. I knew I had a problem, but it was more than a problem. It was sin, and I was stuck in it as a Christian. Totally stuck in it. But the Lord, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul goes on to say, if outbursts of wrath, if these things are a practice in your life, it's possible you may not have the Holy Spirit within you. You may not be regenerated. If, this, if these are your practice, so it really caused me to examine my heart and say, wow, is the Holy Spirit in me or not? Can a Christian sin and still go to heaven? Yes, because Jesus has saved us from all sins past, present, and future. Think of the parable of the prodigal son where he leaves, he wastes his dad's wealth, and he ends up in the pig pen, and the pig food's starting to look pretty good. He's pretty hard up. And he says, you know, my dad's got servants that are living better than this. See, he wasn't content to stay in the pig pen. He wasn't content to eat the pig's food because he was not a pig. He was the child of a, a man who taught him better. And so he went and humbled himself before his father. And see, if we have that old nature, we're totally content in those things. We have no problem with the pig food because it's what we're used to. And it's what we like. We have an appetite. But as children of God, our new nature will result in a distaste for sin and being uncomfortable in it and, and desiring release from it. It was Charles Spurgeon who said to say, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. There should be a change in us when we're born again. There should be a new nature that's evident where you go, you know, that's not how I used to think. That's not how I used to live. My desires are different. And it may not be completely in every area of your life com uh, walking in victory overnight, but there will be a walk with Jesus that you never had when you were on your own. What's really funny to me is we can use this list of the works of the flesh to feel pretty good about our current walk with Jesus. Like, hmm, no, haven't committed adultery. Don't tell lewd jokes. I don't even laugh at them. I burned my Ouija board years ago. Uh, you know, when it comes to hatred and injury, I'm way better than I used to be, and, and I don't get smashed in alcohol. I'm good. That is a legalistic way to look at this passage. And that's the way I always looked at it as a kid, as a young person. I'd be like, yep, no problem, no problem, no problem. Oop, problem. Now, if you see a problem there, take note of it. Repent. But this, this list is not given us as a spiritual checklist to, to say, I am now doing good. I am righteous. It's not a spiritual checklist to be used to justify yourself. But these are the works of the flesh. 
There's many others besides them that are natural to you. Every human being. It's like a stunning likeness, a photographic quality of what's going on inside of you. This is a reality that is obvious to God, but we can dodge it with our clever words and cop-outs. Paul said, in his flesh, no good thing dwells. But we don't always agree with him. We're like, come on. Can't be that bad. We must realize that sin doesn't begin with the work of the flesh. See, often we look at the symptom and we say, oh, well, I don't have that symptom. So I'm good. But what is adultery? Let's just, it's the first one. So what is adultery? What's the heart of it? Jesus said, if we look with lust, we've committed adultery. And at the heart of adultery is selfishness. It's a lack of contentment with what God has given. It's unthankful and a lack of gratitude for all God's provided in himself that we try to fill with someone else. Sin's conceived in our hearts when we don't trust God, we don't obey God, and when our opportunity intersects with desire. That's, so there's a lot of things that happen before you physically commit adultery with someone. So adultery is not really the whole problem. There's a lot leading up to it. There's a lot that's been festering under the surface and and sinful heart towards God that begins to result in adultery. So it's the heart where the problem is, not just because, man, we let ourselves off the hook. I do, totally. Especially when I looked at this in a very legalistic light. I'm like, yep, checklist, checklist, don't do that, don't do that. I'm good. I can rest easy. But I was looking at it the t totally the wrong way. When we're, if our minds are fixed on Christ, our minds will not be in the gutter with suggestive comments. If we're aware that when we walk, we're walking in the presence of God who's walking with us, we won't be given over to sexual fantasies or swept up in porn or slaves to masturbation. We're not going to be given over to these things because we realize that the Lord has come to us and he dwells within us and the things that please him, that Without him, we would be completely given over to all manner of lust and uncleanness and wickedness. And it's just by his grace that we're not in complete bondage to everything on this list. It's because he's done that. And so since he's loosed us from that curse and those bonds, we can now walk in the way that pleases him. Just because we've been freed does not mean we're immune to temptation or incapable of a fall. If you're walking, you can fall. So as we walk with Jesus, you know, take heed if you think you stand, lest you fall. If you begin to pride yourself in the things you don't do, man, how many times was that me where I was pretty proud that, that I had overcome something just that very day to slip back into it again? It's been three weeks since I did that, gentlemen. And then guess what? Hmm. It wasn't long before the, God let me see that it wasn't me at all. It wasn't my self-control that was so strong. He needed to, he, he, he knows how to get his point through. We live in a body of flesh, therefore the works of the flesh are endemic. It's part of us. We will always drift towards them. We'll always promote them. Have you guys ever prided yourself in not doing a sinful thing only to have the flesh stirred up and falling from the pinnacle where you believed by your efforts you stood? I've been there. Allow the word of God to reveal sin so that we would not live in it rather than justify ourselves. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The fruit of the Spirit, total contrast to the work of the flesh. An unsaved person can keep the law. There's a lot of unsaved, unregenerate people who keep the law. They don't, they pay their taxes. They haven't committed adultery. They don't cheat on their spouse. They don't have those outbursts of wrath. They are not drunk 
with wine. But see, only the presence of the Holy Spirit can provide the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. You cannot conjure up the fruit of the Spirit through the efforts of the flesh. Trees are known by their fruit. A peach tree, it's going to produce peaches in summer, which is good because I love peach cobbler. It's like I buy peaches constantly when they're on special. When the Holy Spirit regenerates us, this is a list of the fruit that's now evident in our lives. While the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts according to his will, he may give someone one gift and another person a complimentary gift or multiple gifts. All of these fruit, they are in the life of every believer. They're all given to you. They should all be on display in your life. Not one fruit of the Spirit is forbidden by law. It's never unlawful to be patient or to be loving or gentle. So it's not just what we say, but how we say it, what we think about others. This, it's it's always in, like, summertime, that's when peaches are going to be on special, that's when they're, it, they're ripe, that's their season. But all these fruits are always in season. The fruit of the Spirit is always in season. There's no, no time where it's like, well, now is the season for love. And then, now is the season for faithfulness. No, it's good all the time. Praise the Lord, they're on offer through Him. And this is such a picture of Christ, right? That Jesus, he was faithful to the Father, to the Scriptures. He, he exhibited the love and the joy and peace and long-suffering, kindness and goodness consistently. He's the vine and we're the branches and we've been grafted into him. And he supplies the strength and the ability for us to be fruitful for him. And the fruit is for him. It's not for me to pride myself and say, see that love? See that faithfulness? See? Fruit of the Spirit. I'm doing the right thing. What are they doing? Oh boy. That legalism, man. It just, it's always there. Left to ourselves, we would have shriveled up, been only fit for the fire, kindling at best. But through the Holy Spirit, He's been compassionate on us. He has saved us. And he's made us fruitful by his grace. Now, every variety of fruit has a distinct appearance, flavor, and texture. And there may be some fruit you really like and others that you don't care for. Like the smell of it is very off-putting. The texture of it is, ugh. But these are all good. Every fruit is a good fruit that God gives. I like in Psalm 1, verse 2 and 3, it says of the one who walks with the Lord that we can be fruitful in all seasons. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Caring for fruit trees and vines, it's very complex. I really, I think I, I'm terrible at it, to be honest. Um, every tree that I've tried to prune, I, I just don't know if I'm doing the right thing or not. You know, I, I prune it, and it's like a year before it, it grows right. And then I'm not really sure if, if the soil's perfect or not. Like, I seriously have issues. Uh, but see, the Lord, he, he is the vine dresser. He is the husbandman. He knows exactly what that plant needs, having designed it and created it to produce a particular kind of fruit that has a seed, a small one, or a big pip, or a stone fruit. He knows exactly the right environment. He knows when it's time to trim it, when it's time to uh, cut it way back, when it's time to actually lay off the water, and when it's time to really give it a soak. Sometimes we need some feeding. We need a trial of affliction. We need a long soak. And, and he supports us in stormy weather, but not to the point where, where we can't have roots. Because it's, it's, uh, I was told when planting a tree and, and, one tree kind of fell over with some wind and like, oh, you're not supporting the tree enough. But you don't want to support it so strongly that the roots aren't being challenged to grow deeper. And so the Lord, he, he's got all that in hand. He notices when there's caterpillars or fly, fruit flies or uh, birds hindering the fruitfulness. He knows when that frost is going to come, he'll cover us up. I mean, he protects us in so many ways that we don't eat, we don't even, we're not even conscious of it but he's protecting us and he's providing for us. 
And if we see a lack of love or self-control or peace in our lives, it's not that God's withholding any good thing from you because he's given us the Holy Spirit who lives within us. He provides all this fruit by his grace. The fruit of the Spirit is not given to boost our pride, to make us feel better about ourselves. It's for the Lord. And so we can acknowledge that any good thing in me, it's from Him. There would be no fruit without Him. And if we see that, do you guys get excited when you see a few blossoms on your tree that previously there were none? And just a few little peaches growing? You're like, there's a passion fruit on that vine. Last year there was nothing. And we get all pumped up about it. Well, let's be excited when there's just one thing because that comes from God. It didn't come from you trying hard. Hopefully we are trying. But really, we, we should not uh, think that our fruitfulness is totally dependent upon my effort. It's from him, not by law. Paul says, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. God causes that fruit to grow, uh, but our relation to God, it's not passive. Like, like a tree that really doesn't have a choice where it's planted and how it's going to grow. It's a bit more mechanical in nature. But we've been spiritually crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but Christ in us. And we are called to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. There's something for us to do. There, there are, is intentional action we can take that's in step with what God wants for us. That, that's going to involve our will and decisions that we make. Greed, for instance, it's a work of the flesh. It's something that we tend towards. We, we care about our stuff. We, we delineate what's mine and what's someone else's, and then we try to keep it for ourselves, and we worry when it starts to, when it's gone, right? Uh, when, I, when I'm convicted by greed in my heart, when it comes to my attention, and the natural man doesn't even notice greed as a problem, but once we've been born again, we were switched on to things that were like, wow, like I, I'm, I care more about what I have than how I can support the needs of others. God gives us wisdom and strength to recognize it, to turn from it, and then to do the thing that pleases God. We have a say as Christians whether we're going to sin or not, whether we're going to choose that or not. Just like we had to choose whether we were going to follow Jesus or not. We have a choice if we're going to sin or not. And quite often, we, we face that battle with different degrees of failure. But the Lord, he's the one who lifts us up. He's the one who turns our eyes towards him again. Not that we become confident in ourselves, but in him. If we're walking in step with Jesus, we will not choose sin. Will he ever lead us into sin? No, because he's righteous and he is loving. In our body of flesh, sin is always going to try to be dominating us, trying to put us under bondage, whether to a law or to a person. But the Lord, he has freed us. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Since we've been raised from the dead, having been born again through faith in Jesus, we are enabled to walk. And you might think, well, how do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit? I don't know if you remember this far back into your childhood. I certainly do not. But do you remember learning to walk when you were an infant? No, I have no recollection of that. Yet somehow I was able to do it. <laughs> I didn't understand. At that time, I don't remember it. Uh, there was no course that you had to go to to learn how to walk. Like, it's funny. Uh, you come to Australia, and we learned that there was a pin license. I had never heard of such a thing. But at the, at the boys' school, you have to know how to write. And once you've written so much, you, you get to graduate to a pin. So there's a test you pass. It's like, you get a pin license. And you're like, all right, I get to write with pen. How exciting. Uh, which, hey, writing with pen is great. Um, I make enough mistakes that I don't mind pencil. But uh, when you learn to drive, I bet you remember that. 
if you learn, if you know how to drive, you remember how you felt learning to drive, and you remember being a bit uncomfortable and maybe making a mistake and uh, hitting the curb or worse, you know, like running over a pedestrian. Uh, like something happened, but you had to pass a test. You had to drive for so long, and then you had to show that you were worthy. But you know, you never had to pass a single test to walk. And that's true as a child of God. You know how to walk because he's in you. And he's enabled you to walk. But we need to learn how to better walk in step with him. You didn't need to understand the mechanics of walking before you knew how to walk. And it's we don't have to overcomplicate the fact that we walk with Jesus because we're born again and the Holy Spirit, he has brought us to new life. He's, we're risen with Christ and walking. Galatians 5.16, earlier in the message, it says, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The word in verse 23 is a different word for walk. The literal rendering of verse 16 that says, Walk in the Spirit, it's keep on walking in the Spirit, which indicates a lifestyle. If you keep walking with the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're doing the right thing, you won't be falling into the temptation of doing the wrong thing, right? Because you're actually doing the right thing. It's not just trying to avoid doing the wrong. You're doing what's right. And so when you continue walking in the Spirit, you will do what's right. The verse, the one in verse 25, it says, If we live in the Spirit, or since we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. This word is to march in the military or to keep file, to be able to march in ranks. We learned how to walk before we could speak. But I don't know of a single person who's able to walk in formation and obey the commands of their drill sergeant without being trained. Anyone here in the military? Any GIs in here? <laughs> I don't see many hands. Anyway, maybe someday, God willing, we'll have a heap of them. But anyhow, when you go to boot camp, Guess what? You don't go by yourself. You go with a lot of other people. And you don't have like individual training to march. They put you in formation. And they tell you what command means what. And how to respond to the voice of the person giving commands. And you learn that by practicing. Since we have been born again, since we have the Holy Spirit in us, let us learn to walk in step with Jesus. Let's learn to he says, my sheep are my voice, and I know them. Since we are sheep of his fold and of his flock, when we hear him, we respond, not by law, but because of the love he's shown to us. And as we progress in life, you know, you have enlisted to follow Jesus. You are not forced to. You cho we talk about being chosen in the draft. People who are drafted don't get to choose. Um, if they want to do military service or not. But if you're following Jesus, you chose to follow him. You, you voluntarily enlisted. You signed up. And so he's like, you, you've seen those movies. They're like, I own you, private. He owns us, but he walks alongside with us, not just barking orders for us to do something to show that we're one of the team. Nah, he loves us. He treats us as his kids. And that picture of going to boot camp, not alone, but with other people, it's so great uh, that we learn to march with other recruits, other Christians, that fellowship of the saints, where those guys and ladies, they get up early in the morning. They are put through their paces of physical fitness and learning to clean their weapons and use them and, and learning how to even talk right and how to respond to the commands, like right face. How do you do that? They learn all those things together. They eat together, they sleep in the same dorms together, and they go to war together. And we, have, we are enlisted, and we're all walking in step with Jesus, and we can help each other. We can encourage one another to keep on going when it's tough. You know, when that recruit has fallen down in the mud, and they're just so exhausted, they've been up for 72 hours, and they're trying to keep pace, but they're physically unable, they've got brothers and sisters to pick them up and to help them and say, you can do this. We can do this together. And we need that. I need that. And the Lord, he does that. 
and we can do that for one another. If we walk in step with Christ and we have intimate fellowship with believers, it's an important part of a growing process of being trained. And he says, guys, be careful you don't fall into the trap of being conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Jesus did exactly the opposite, didn't he? He wasn't conceited. He was God in human form, but he humbled himself even facing the death on the cross. He didn't provoke others. He wasn't just trying to stir the pot or rile people up. He sought to build people up in faith, demonstrating the power of God. And he was faithful to finish that race that God had set before him. See, God set before each of us a different race, and we can envy someone else's, man, your course is like flat and a little downhill, and you don't have the sort of, you don't seem to have the obstacles that I have in my race. I wish I had their life. Like, you don't understand the pain that I'm enduring. No, they don't. Jesus does. And he's there for you. He will lift you up. Jesus did not seek glory for himself, but for the Father. Oh, that we would learn to walk in the Spirit. That we would learn to seek the glory of God. And when we recognize the works of the flesh in us, let's repent, let's confess them before the Lord and choose to do what's right. Praise the Lord, he's enabled us to stand. It's he who makes us to walk and even in step with Jesus, that he walks alongside with us. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. That's the reality. It doesn't always feel that way, but we can trust him. He'll get us through Thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit, that living water that refreshes our souls. Thank you that you know exactly what we need, that you're the one who makes us to be fruitful because you grafted us in to Jesus Christ, the vine. Thank you, Lord, for the pruning times, for the times of growth. And when we see those fruit, Lord, may we rejoice uh, in, when we see it in the lives of others. And may we give all glory to you uh, that the fruit of the Spirit is evident. Thank you for the example of Christ, for the example of believers, not only in Scripture, but in this very room, Lord, in our lives, uh, friends and family in Christ that you have just raised up and done remarkable things. Thank you for the transformation that you bring, that we were once dead and now we're alive, and you've given us such a purpose to be fruitful for your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for... Uh, just the opportunity to thank you and how you put thankfulness and gratefulness in our hearts. And Lord, keep us from pride and conceit and arrogance and justifying ourselves, uh, but that we would honor and obey you. Lord, help us to do the things you called us to. Help us to walk as Jesus does and uh, to learn to keep in step with him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.